um, is calling us to enter his rest. He actually says that, enter his rest, there's a place to come, that he is. And all it requires is releasing um, our reliance on other stuff. And we step into that place and we see things totally different, but we stay and abide in that place. And that's what he's calling his church, all of us, to know what it is to abide in that place, his rest. Not to come in and go out, but to abide in it. Um, Psalm 73. This is so often what we're like. Here's, um, here's this guy crying out. He said, My heart was grieved and bittered in a state of ferment, and I was pricked in my heart as with the sharp fang of an adder. So foolish, stupid, and brutish was I, was ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with, me, with you. You do hold my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to honour and glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And I have no delight or desire on earth besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the rock and firm strength of my heart and my portion forever. So there's this, he's, he's considering all the things that are happening. He's trying to understand it. And it says earlier on, when I considered how to understand this, it was too great an effort for me and too painful until I went into the sanctuary of God. See, that's where he wants us to stay. And he's calling each one of us because his heart is to abide with us, to fellowship with us, to, to be in that place where we're hearing his voice, he's speaking to us, we're talking to him. And we're seeing things as he sees. We're going places that he's going. So just, I just feel there's something special on this service for this. If that's something that's been a longing in your heart to know how to abide with him, he's got keys here for you. His desire is for that. And when his desire is for that and his purpose is for that, he makes it clear how it is that we activate that. Right, this morning, I just want to, before I start to preach, I just want to share with you in the sense that what I'm preaching from is from my personal experience. Sometimes we can get a wrong concept that because somebody preaches out the front, they must have it all together, that they must be just superhuman or something or other like that, but we're not. We're just like you, but we're going through a journey, and I pray that part of what I'm sharing today would encourage you on your journey. So I really want to encourage you that sometimes it's so easy just to think, oh, I, I can't even get near that sort of thing. You know, God wants and help, is able to help you on your journey. And I want to encourage you because God has each and every one of you here designed to walk that journey with each other. Not alone, but with each other. And I want to encourage you with that. So this morning I want you to position yourselves. Because I don't want to pour out a whole lot of information. I want you to capture revelation of what God is doing. Because otherwise it will just fill this and never engage in here. So I want you to engage with your heart. Open up your spirit, man, so that you may receive this morning. Well, this morning I'm talking about caught off balance. 
I don't know whether you've got a good sense of balance or not, but I know I certainly haven't got a very good sense, particularly on a skateboard or anything like that. I'm afraid <laughs> you'd see me on the ground more than you would see me on the board. But there are, some, there are things in life that simply throw us off guard. You know, we can be walking one road and suddenly bang, 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 suddenly what on earth happened? There can be good and bad things. I mean, it could be a new job opportunity that opens up. Suddenly you come into a whole lot of finance that you never dreamed of before. Or it could be a death of a loved one, unexpectedly. There's all sorts of things that happen in life that we're not always expecting and can suddenly throw us from where we've been or what we've been doing. How many heard in the news uh, at least a month or so ago that there was a big explosion on the sun? You remember that? There was this big explosion. And the fear was that the, the force of that explosion would come out and affect a whole lot of satellites going around the orbiting around the Earth. And they thought it would put them onto a new orbit or a different orbit, affecting communications all around the world. I don't know whether that ever happened or not, or whether it's come or whether it hasn't come, or what the story is. But there was that fear of it changing into a different orbit. You know, sometimes... It can be like that in life. I remember the beginning of last year, I had the most unusual experience where I had an inner ear infection. I was perfectly okay one day, and then I woke up and I couldn't stand up. Everything was moving literally all around me. I couldn't stand up, I couldn't sit down, and even lying down, closing my eyes, things were still moving. My stomach still tunes. <laughs> it was an awful experience. And you know... The embarrassing thing was it took about three or four months to actually come right. You know, I turned my head like this and everything would slowly catch up. It was just the weirdest, weirdest thing ever. But the fact is it caught me off balance. I just couldn't stand. And it was the most unusual experience that I've ever had. But, you know, in the, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. And sometimes God has to get our attention. And suddenly it shakes us of course. We're walking in one direction, suddenly, bang, God gets our attention, and we think, what's going on? And suddenly we're caught off balance. I know that um, at least five or six years ago, I was traveling one road, I was traveling one course, and then God just opened my eyes to a whole lot of things I'd never seen before. It just shook me up, because what I saw the church was going and where he was going was totally different. Suddenly, I thought, my goodness, it really did something in here. I was heading one way, and then suddenly God changed that course. It's the same thing with here. About two years ago, this church was in a different course. It was doing a different thing. And yet it was like God took the carpet from, out, from underneath our feet and pulled it, and we've all gone going like this, falling down onto the ground, thinking, God, what are you doing here? What's going on? And there are all sorts of things happening this way and that way. And we're all sort of fumbling around trying to stand up. But you know, God had adjusted our course and steered us into a new orbit. It just takes time for us as a church to catch up with what he's doing and adjust to a higher or a different altitude. And that's what's happening. Sometimes we don't like that shaking. We like everything to be familiar. We like everything to be the same. And then suddenly when God turns up, but God, I don't like it this way. But God's got a far bigger plan for you and I. And that's for us to meet with him and intertwine with him. Everything else changes from there. 
But it's not just happening here. God's interrupting. It's very inconvenient, you know. But God's interrupting his church here, there and everywhere. Why? Because he wants it drawn back to him. He's sick of the programs. He's sick of the man-made this and the man-made that. He wants his church back. It's where our hearts engage. Unfortunately, the church, as you've heard so many times, has become so conditional, focused on doing things for God, that we can't hear him when he says, come away with me. Spend time in my presence. Come and sit at my feet. But it's amazing how many people struggle with that one thing, including myself. I'm a person that likes to do things. I'm a person that likes to get things going. I'm a person that wants to push in and do things. And yet, God is saying, come and rest with me. Forget about those things. Come and rest with me. God makes it so much simpler and we can't comprehend it. We have to try and take and pro- we have to try and prove ourselves to him by how much we do by striving to accomplish God's work. And yet, so much of what the church used to do was simply man's effort trying to please God. Now, where did that come from? Hmm, that's interesting. And God is now simply stripping a lot of that stuff away, stripping it back, because he wants us to know him. And that comes by resting in his presence. It's not about doing, it's about being. And that's why it's, this whole thing is so important about resting in him. But that's too simple, you say. There has to be so much more. Surely. And so what we try and do is when God says something, and it could be one little thing, what we do is we have to take it and we have to add to it. We have to add a whole lot of rules and regulations around it. We have to try and butter this up or put this onto it and add this to it. And, and so we make it more acceptable for us. Or the other thing is we take a little bit of God's truth, we get a bit of concrete and we mix it and we set it all around in concrete so it becomes so rigid and inflexible. True? And man has done that right throughout the history of the church. God has given a simple truth and man takes hold of it and destroys it by setting it something so hard and we get focused so much on that little bit, there's so much more. It's like saying the rainbow is only one colour. And that's all you ever see. But there's so much more. God has so much more. You know, we try to take something so simple and we make it complicated. I'll give you an example. Next week, we're going to color uh, coordinate the car park out there. Okay? So whatever color your cars are, you can only park on that color. Okay? Now, if you come here and you find there's no uh, color for your car or anything like that, or there's all those colors have taken, you may park into another car park with another colour as long as it matches your car. However, you can only do it every second week as long as it falls on an even day. See what I mean? We take things so, something so simple and we try and complicate it. And yet God is trying to strip it all away to make it simple. And yet we struggle with that. Paul says, write that down. <laughs> Next week you will. <laughs> you know, I was looking the other day at uh, the Bible and looking where instances where people rested at his feet. You know, there were a lot of people that were healed 
There were a lot of people that were delivered. There were a lot of people, you know, there were quite a few raised from the dead. There was all sorts of things that happened, but very few who actually rested at his feet. In fact, there was, um, I mean, the list goes on. And there were many who fell and worshipped at his feet, but not many who rested at his feet. And that intimacy is just so important. I mean, the most famous, of course, is Martha and Mary, which you've heard a lot about. But I want to look at another story this morning. But you see, intimacy is so important. And Satan has this ploy that what he can do is he wants to interrupt that intimacy with you. And you know how he does it? He tries you, he tries to get you to rebuild the wall of separation. He keeps reminding you of your failure. He keeps reminding you of, of how you've done this or how you've done that and how you're not a very good Christian and how you've done this. You know, all those different things. And he tries to get you to build that wall of separation. God never built that wall. He broke it down. He destroyed it because he loves intimacy with his children. And yet we keep thinking, oh, God won't talk to me because I've failed or I did this or I did that. But God accepts you anyway. Absolutely. He accepts you. Satan knows that if he can keep you distracted from spending time with him, he knows that he can keep you powerless and living a form of Christianity, but void of power and the experience of knowing who God really is. He'll always keep try and keep you distant from God. God is one who loves you and wants to intertwine with you as you abide with him. And yet the pressure of every day is very real. True? We all go under pressure. We're, there's all sorts of things that we go through in life. The pressure comes. You, you know, just ask a, a mother with a young child. Up, up half the night with a sick child or feeding or whatever, and they get up through the, the day and they feel really tired and then they're up and down to their child and they're trying to f- find a little bit of... Whenever they try and sit up and pray, they fall asleep. True? The pressure is there. But I really sense in my heart this morning, there's a young mother here that is struggling with that. They're trying, she's trying to strive and to pray, but you know, I sense in my spirit, God is saying, hey, I understand, and for you to rest in me. Okay? Because a lot of young mothers feel so guilty. Why aren't I reading the word more? Why aren't I praying more? Why aren't I doing this and doing that? And yet God is saying to you this morning, hey, it's okay. Just re- learn to rest in me. Okay, I really sense that was for someone this morning. But we face, and demand, we face many things that demand our strength, our time, our money, everything. And Jesus felt the same pressure. He wasn't immune from it either. He knows exactly how you feel. And particularly for those in ministry work. You know, those in ministry work actually carry a lot of pressure. They carry a lot of weight in the spirit. And so they come under even more pressure, more pressure than what we realize. But God is saying, come away with me. And most of us respond by saying, but when, God, when or how can I fit you in? A lot of us get up in the morning, we're rushing around here, we're trying to get on the train, and then we're out in our business, we come home, we've got kids running around everywhere, we're trying to get them into bed, and we're exhausted at the end of the day. God, when do I fit you in? Yet God is saying, out of all that busyness, come and spend time with me. You know, Jesus faced a lot of pressure. 
We often forget that. We often overlook it. He had a lot of demands placed on him from the world and the surrounding people whose focuses and motives were so varied. They really were. Hey, Jesus, when is your kingdom coming? Hey, it's taking an awful long time, man. Hey, Jesus, hey, why don't you stay here and be our king? We want you to be king. You're so popular at the moment. Hey, when are you going to get rid of those Roman scum? Hey, Jesus, I need a healing. Hey, Jesus, there's someone over here who's dying who needs your touch. Hey, Jesus, I, my, my boy needs this, my this and that. Hey, Jesus, I'm awfully hungry. Hey, Jesus, it's tax time. Hey, this woman was brought because she was, um, she'd been caught in the act of adultery. What do you say? Should we stone her? Hey, Jesus, don't say that because you'll offend the Pharisees and the religious leaders. You know, his every word, his every move was watched. And we think we had pressure. Boy. <laughs> but you know, he may not have had the paparazzi chasing his every move, but there was hardly a moment where the crowds weren't following him or looking for him. Every watch, every move, every word that he spoke, they were observing his every action. He was more popular than the Beatles. Well, this new group, what's this new group called? Um, One Direction? <laughs> Sorry, ladies. <laughs> he was popular. And that comes with a lot of demands too. Some followed him because they hungered for him. Some followed him because of what they got from him. Some followed him because of what they thought he was going to do. And others were there to try and trap him. Others just tried to follow him because they saw these healings. They saw these miracles. They were just hungry for the spectacle. But not many followed him because they hungered for him. And yet Jesus was like us, fully human, yet fully God. He didn't fall into the trap of having to perform to keep his ratings up. He didn't matter if there was just a few of his disciples or whether there was a whole crowd. And one sermon, he lost everybody apart from his disciples. He said, hey, are you going to go too? You know, he didn't fall off his throne because of it. He didn't fall over and go and pack a sad. He was quite okay. Why? Because his focus was on his father and doing his father's will. And he drew strength from being in his presence. Not just some of the time, but constantly living in his presence. You know, that's something that we need to come into. Learning how to walk constantly in God's presence. You know, you don't have to spend an hour a day praying in the morning. You can actually walk with God during the day. And that's so powerful when we do. But he didn't go through the ups and downs. He didn't go through the emotional highs and lows. He stayed in God's presence. He knew that he needed to come away and spend time with his Father, and so much so that he became one with his Father. He did everything that the Father showed him. And yet how often do we get caught up in the pressure of, of man trying to draw upon our own strength to keep up, our, keep up doing God's work and end up burning ourselves up. I've, I've burnt out myself out before too. I know exactly what that's like. And yet, instead of becoming a, a, living, a, a person with living water coming out, he would become a stagnant pool or a dried up pool that attracts mosquitoes and flies. Not a pretty picture really. And yet, we need to draw to him. In the last month or so, 
at work I felt this tremendous pressure. We've had a lot of staff away to almost down to half strength. And it's been, I've had to work, you know, 10, 12 hour days, day in, day out. And there's been a lot of pressure there. And yet I've had to really draw upon God like I've never done before. I found in here when the pressure came on, there were all sorts of hidden attitudes that I didn't realize was there. Suddenly grumping, you know, being grumpy. Suddenly, you know, my attitudes was beginning to change. All these different things that I thought, ugh. That I look at other people when they go through and think, come on, man, toughen up. And yet here it was in me when the pressure came on. The worst was coming out. And God sometimes allows the pressure to come in to get those things to the top so that he can deal with them. It wasn't, very, it wasn't a very nice experience, but... You know, God laid on my spirit, Isaiah twenty six three. You who, oh, sorry, you will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. I'll read it again. You will keep in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. And God kept reminding me, I want you to say that. I want you to rest in me. So many times during the day I had to just close my eyes or just get away to a quiet place and say, God, I can't do this. I need you. You know, I sensed his presence with me right throughout that time. If you're going through pressure today, I want to encourage you because God wants to walk you through that time of pressure so that you come out the other side. Jesus learnt to know what it was to rest at his father's feet. How much more is it important for us to? And Jesus has been teaching me this, to rest in him. And I pray this morning, that's your heart's desire too. I wonder if you could just stop for a moment and just think about this. What would it be like for every person here to rest in him? What would it be like? How different would your life be? How different would this place be? How rested would, us, would we be? How different would your workplaces be? How different would this community be? True? If we learn to rest in him. God's not asking you to run a program. God's asking you to simply rest in him. So that you become intertwined with him. That you begin to know him. Suddenly your heart changes. Everything happens differently in you. You feel refreshed, revived, strengthened. Because you're connected with him. Imagine the buzz in this place. Wow. It would be fantastic. But before I move on about pressure, I just want to focus just a few thoughts that I've been reading a book just recently called The Strongholds of God by Francis Fragapine or whatever they call it, Fragapine or whatever. It's a difficult name to actually say. But anyway, it's a few things that got me thinking too about pressure. And particularly those that um, you know, are in ministry work, there's a lot of pressure that comes on them. But look at this. Did you know that the enemy's campaign is aimed at destroying the shepherd and scattering the sheep? That's what he wants to do. He wants to put a lot of pressure on certain people that destroys the shepherd and scatters the sheep. And if Satan's attack is successful, everyone involved will come out of the battle with less love 
and a hardened heart. Can you think of the number of churches that are split all over New Zealand? I've been through several splits in the churches that I've been in. And guess what? It leaves a lot of Christians hurt and disillusioned with a lot of hardened hearts, unable to trust in God because man failed them. True? There's a lot of pressure. And Satan knows that if he can destroy that, he can destroy the unity and the oneness of a church who truly rest in him man it's not very pleasant when you go through those things but you know where's your eyes I've learnt that you can't you can't put preachers on a pedestal you ha- your eyes have to be on God because man fails they have their ups and downs but God doesn't there's also two types of people one who takes the hammer and chisel and uses it to make an idol of the preacher and I've seen people do that before Oh, they can't do anything wrong. They're amazing. They're this, they're this, they're that. But what happens when that preacher suddenly falls? Suddenly they're left, oh, you know, God, you've destroyed us. And I've seen a lot of Christians, I've said, walk away with that. But then there's also those that use the hammer and chisel to crucify them with criticism. And when a church has a lot of people speaking behind their backs with criticism, it undermines everything that God tries to build. It's really, really important that we learn to be able to build a stronghold in here with God because otherwise the pressure on the outside will affect you, and particularly for those in ministry. It's like a submarine is designed to have more pressure on the inside than on the outside. So when it goes deeper, the pressure on the outside doesn't cave it in. And when God becomes, when you become intertwined with God, no matter the pressure that you're facing, You can withstand it because he's inside holding you up. Amen? So I pray that this place, I mean, you don't always have to agree with the pastors and and the leaders in this place, but you need to learn to pray for them and not speak behind their back or criticize them. Let's be a church that uplifts them. Let's be a church that comes up and rises and seeks God and prays for our leaders. The elders... The, the, the pastors, their families, their wives, their husbands, all of those things, we need to be lifting up in prayer daily because of the pressure that they come under. Sometimes we'll never understand it. Anyway, particularly those with a prophetic and apostolic mantle come under even more pressure because they have a heavenly mandate and Satan wants to destroy it. And that's why we need to pray for them. But we all feel pressure. All of us, not one of us is immune. And when you were born into God's kingdom, you entered a war zone, whether you like it or not. I remember when I came to the Lord, around that time, people were preaching a gospel of, come to, come to God, come to Jesus, and all your problems will be solved. It was a lovely, lovely, <laughs> sort of sweet little flower type, <laughs> hippie type gospel that we preach. But in fact, when you come to Christ, you're actually entering into a war zone. You have to be aware of that. But it may surprise you, but God and the devil both want us to die. But for very different reasons. Satan wants to destroy us by accusations. There's that murmuring thing going on. And he's the accuser of their brethren. 
And then he drains us of unceasing activity to explain to others our side of the story. True? How many times we have to try and justify ourselves when something happens? The story may not be true that's been spoken against you, but we have to try and justify ourselves. And we wear ourselves out trying to explain. True? But God, however, wants to crucify that part in our soul that is so easily exploited by the devil in the first place. I thought, wow. Isn't that powerful? We don't have to try and justify ourselves. God is the one that wants us to put that part to death so we don't have to worry about what the other people think. We're so conditioned about what other people think. And yet God says, hey, let it go. It doesn't worry me. You know, I knew a man who, was a, an, uh, who had an apostolic and prophetic uh, um, mandate or a ministry and he was an incredible guy. He carried a lot of weight in the spirit. But he went through a total upheaval of what, went going, of what went on. He lost his marriage. He lost his church. He lost, um, he lost uh, his reputation. He lost his finances. He lost his home. He lost absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. And there were wild... Accusations flying around here and there and Christians are very good at picking up this and adding all sorts of different things. So when it gets to the end of the Chinese whisper type thing that you often hear about, the story is totally different. And I remember talking to him and I said to him, why don't you stand up and defend yourself? You know what he said to me? He said, when you've learned to die to yourself, it doesn't matter what people say. It's irrelevant. What matters is what he thinks. And he never defended himself. And you know, today, God's just really blessed that man. But he went through a death process, which wasn't very nice. But his support and his strength was in him. It wasn't an easy time for him. It almost destroyed him. In fact, God's renewed him. And he's a different person for it. So sometimes, you know, the issue isn't our sin. And this is always before us. We can see it and we can know it. We know when we failed. You know what the real issue is? Ourselves. Ourselves. And we often struggle with what we can't see. We get so familiar with ourselves that we can't see the things in us that need changing sometimes. We get so comfortable with it. And the Lord sometimes allows criticism and the pressure to unearth something deeper because we can so be easily manipulated by what others think or say about us. And our sense of peace can be governed by acceptance or the rejection of man. Are you aware of what other people think about you? Do you have to try and do things to try and get the acceptance from them rather than from God? Something to think about anyway. But we're all like that. But when our dependence is on God, it doesn't matter about that at all. Listen to what this, this guy said. He, I took a quote from, from what he said. He said, and he went through an awful lot of, of this sort of thing. He said, to inoculate me from the praise of man, he baptized me in the criticism of man until I died to the control of man. 
Isn't it incredible? I'll read that again. To inoculate me from the praise of man, he baptized me in the criticism of man until I died to the control of man. I thought, gosh. You know, we have to allow God to form Christ in us, but it means we have to die to ourselves. And that pressure that sometimes we go through is God doing a work in us that we have to allow him to take over and letting go and learn to rest in him. That's why Paul the Apostle was able to say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself who loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. What an incredible statement. We often rattle that off. We just say and we just, oh, yeah, it's no longer I live. But you know, what does that really mean? It wasn't easy for Paul to actually say that statement. But when we learn to die to ourselves, something very powerful starts to happen on the inside. You have to remember, Paul was not a very popular guy. We think, oh, wow, he wrote all those books. But in his day, he was not that popular. Some said his sermons were boring. Some guy fell asleep in it. <laughs> and he prayed for him because he fell out of the window and died. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not sure whether I had that enough faith to actually pray for you to live again. <laughs> so if you fall asleep, just... <laughs> He wasn't that popular, and yet he learned what it was to die to himself. Why? Because he had a revelation of who God was and his love and acceptance, and he just wanted to allow Christ to form him inside. He knew and understood he had to get out of the way. And this is the biggest problem that we all have, because we all want to stay in the where we are. We want to stay on the throne of our hearts. We don't mind God doing a few little bits on the outside, but God having access right in here on the throne room of our hearts, ooh, that's hard, because I've got to die to something about me. But it's the most beautiful place of intimacy. It's the most beautiful place when he comes into that place of dwelling and living and abiding in you. The problem is my flesh keeps crying out. My flesh wants to be number one. My flesh wants everything. I want to do it my way, God. We're all like that. So my journey is, God, I want to surrender to you. But I've found that I can't strive to do it either. It's like that very fine, narrow road of not striving and yet surrendering. Because we can't do anything of ourselves. It's a difficult thing. And there's so many scriptures about this. I mean, there's also Mark and Marcus talks about when he called us to the people, the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, he drew, he draws all people, but then he leaves us with a decision to make. He leaves us with a decision. Whoever desires to come, see, we desire to come after him, and we want to follow him. But we don't want to deny ourselves. We don't want to take up the cross. We want the external, but we don't want the internal. And yet God is challenging the church today to allow him to take over in the innermost in parts. 
It's not easy. But what a difference it makes when we do surrender. See, I keep wanting to defend my position. Anyone done that? We, there's something in us that has to justify ourselves. And God's saying, hey, let it die. Let it go. Let me come in. And I just can't do it in my own strength. I have to rest in him. It's interesting. You know, the disciples, Sandra and I were just talking about this this morning. The disciples also had to go through the Garden of Gethsemane, not just Christ. But they ended up having a mixed experience of Gethsemane and ended up running away from it. And yet God had to draw them back to it. You know, he, he ascended into heaven from the Mount of Olives, the olive press again. He drew them back into it before Pentecost. And God's drawing us into the Mount of Olives where sometimes there is pressure because God wants to refine you and to take all that dross off. I mean, gold before it's burned with fire is not actually that nicer looking metal. Oysters, unless the pressure is there and the irritation is there, you'd never get the pearl. So there is a process in between that we've got to go through that's really part of our journey. And it's all part of that journey. As long as we do it together, you can't do it alone. We have to walk together. And I want to encourage you to stay on that journey of letting God do it. So what does resting at his feet really make? What difference does it really make? And I just want to quickly, I know for the sake of time, just turn to one story in Luke chapter 8, verse 35. This is the story of the demon-possessed man. Luke chapter 8, verse, uh, we'll go to 35. And Jesus delivered this man who was demon-possessed, who was bound by so many chains and all sorts of things like that, and he delivers him. But in verse 35 it says, And they, this is the people of the city, came out and went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They, they also, who had seen it, told them by what means who had been the demon-possessed was healed. And then the whole multitude surrounding the region of Gadarenes asked him to depart from there, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and, and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house. And tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way proclaiming throughout the whole city the great things God had done for him. It's an amazing story. This man is set free. He terrorized the whole area and yet this man is set free. So when the people came out to have a look, what would you expect the reaction to be? Hey, high fives and, and, and wow, this is fantastic and dancing and rejoicing in the street would have taken place. Surely that's what you'd expect, wouldn't it? But it was totally different. They were seized with fear. In fact, I'm not sure whether they were more concerned about the swine or the man. God's more concerned about you than more than what you realize. But they were seized with fear. And they tried to get Jesus out of the equation and, and just, you know, go, go away from us. Leave us alone. And they take him out of the equation. How many times do we take Jesus out of the equation? 
When we're under pressure, he's our last resort. When we're going through things, he's our last resort. But in actual fact, he should be there right the way through it because he wants to walk with you through that pressure. The same man who once terrorized the citizens of that place, region, was now made whole and the people couldn't grasp it. Their reaction is quite the opposite, I said, of how we'd have thought they would have rejoiced or how they should have acted. There was no thankfulness. There was no awe and wonder. And even now in this current move of God of what God is doing, people are walking away in fear. They can't understand what's happening around them. Instead of pressing in and running, they run in the opposite direction. You see, the funny thing is that people can pray for God to move. God, we want revival. God, we want this. We want that. God, we want you to move in this place. And when God turns up, oh God, um, no, this, this is not what we expected you to do. We want, we want it like this. Look, this is the list of what we want or expect. True? I mean, it happened in Jesus' time too. The Pharisees, the Pharisees had a list of what the Messiah should have looked like what he should have said and what he should have done and how, you know, all these different things. But when Jesus turned up, it was very inconvenient because it wasn't what they thought of. And now that God is doing something where he's drawing you back to us, oh, sorry, not us to us, back to him, suddenly we're thinking, oh God, no, no, this is not quite what we had in mind. We, you mean dying to self? Uh, you know, but what about my ministry, God? What about my gifting? What about this? What about that? You know, I used to be pretty popular. I, I used to be doing this. I used to be doing that. And you're wanting me to die? God, I, I think it'll be a lot easier actually if I go somewhere else. <laughs> Isn't it sad? The disciples didn't even understand it either. They were pretty disillusioned when things happened. They were expecting God to do this and expecting this and that to happen. But when it didn't all work out the way they thought it was going to work out, suddenly they were all at sixes and sevens. Two of them walking away onto the road of um, oh, what was that? Sorry? Emmaus. Walking to the road to Emmaus. Walking away with what God was doing. So I want to encourage you this morning. Don't walk away. If you're feeling awkward, if you're going through different things. I mean, we're all going through upheavals in our heart because it's God breathing on us afresh and getting rid of those things that need to be got rid of. Don't walk away with it. That's why we need each other as a congregation to help support each other when we go through it. You know, it's okay to feel up and down about it. It's okay to find that you're scrambling on your feet because Jesus wants you to be dependent upon him, not on anything else. You know, it's the funny thing is we want the we want the change, but not the process in between. But the process is so important. Anyway, they found this man. I'm going to quickly go through this. Found sitting him at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Let's focus on those three three things. What does that really mean? Sitting at his feet. What does that mean? Well, in the Greek word, it says it means to sit down, to be set down, to dwell, and to have a fixed abode. It was the customs in those days for a traveller, if they'd been walking a long distance, they'd get all dusty and dirty. They'd come and they'd be seated down and they'd wash their feet. And they'd feel rested and refreshed. 
Well, you can be thankful the ushers don't have to wash everybody's feet as they come in. <laughs> I'm sure the ushers are thankful that they don't have to do that. <laughs> but I, I actually saw at a wedding uh, earlier this year, it was a beautiful wedding in actual fact, where the bride and the groom washed each other's feet. I've never seen it done before, but it was a thing about serving each other. It was actually a really lovely picture. It was really beautiful. But to to rest, you know, God has something. Um, you know, we may not travel on those dusty roads anymore, but sometimes we go through life and a lot of dirt can cling to us that we don't even see. And we need to spend time in his presence so that it can be washed off us. True? It's like the other day I was sitting in my lounge and I was thinking, oh, how good the the, the coffee table looked nice and clean and clear and everything like that. And then the sun broke through the, through the glass and it came along and suddenly I could see all the dust on the coffee table. I think, oh, actually, it's not so clean as you thought. And when the light of God begins to come, suddenly you realize actually there's a bit of dust and a bit of dirt here and a bit of this and a bit of that that needs cleaning, right? And that can only come when we sit at his feet and he begins to pinpoint things that, hey God, you know, that he wants us to change. To dwell. One of the meaning to dwell. And there's nothing more than just sitting down for a moment and then suddenly the phone goes. Have you ever tried doing that? You're sitting down and you sit down to a meal or you're just sitting down. You turn the TV on and suddenly the phone goes. Well, we've had a person staying in their home for a while and he was a manager and he was often on call. And so he's up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, an awful lot. It wasn't very restful for him because his page was going constantly. And sometimes our life can be like that with God. We can be up, down, up, down, up, down, doing all sorts of things for God, but never resting in his presence. And God wants us to live in that constant state of peace. John 15:4 says, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. We expect fruit to happen. We expect all sorts of different things. I mean, we want fruitfulness in our lives. We want power. We want uh, strength. We want to know the word more. We want great faith. We want to be a channel of blessing so he can work through us. We want to see amazing miracles. But we don't have time for him. In fact, we often seek the wrong things. We shouldn't seek all those other things. We should seek him, and those things just come. Here's a verse that will blow your mind Isaiah 60. And often we don't remember this verse. We, we think of the arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. We think about all those other things. But this is just right in the middle of it. It says, The glory of Lebanon shall come to you the cypress and the pine and the box tree together to beautify the place of my sanctuary and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Isn't that beautiful? Spending time at his feet is a glorious place. We need to be able to do that. It's the place where we uncover the hidden riches of what he wants to show us through revelation. That's the place of revelation is sitting in his place. Very quickly, clothed. What does it mean to be clothed? Clothed in what? When we sit at Jesus' feet, suddenly praise begins to come up. Suddenly thankfulness comes. You know, when you're sitting in his presence, suddenly your, your hand begins to rise. There's all sorts of things that happen deep within that suddenly starts to come. 
It flows out of our hearts so that no matter what the circumstances we are doing or facing, there arises within us a gratefulness that isn't logical or understandable to the world. Remember Paul and Silas? They're sitting in that dark, damp prison. They're beaten. They're feeling very sore. The chains are eating into their ankles and into their, their, their hands. Probably rats are running all around them. The place stinks. It was sitting in the dark. And yet they didn't succumb to how they felt. Out of their innermost being rose praises to God. That comes from people who dwell in God's presence. And you know, said the whole prison was listening. I wonder who's listening around you when you go through difficult times. I wonder what they're picking up around you. People listen to us. And yet out of their experience, God was able to, they were able to put on the garment of praise and it released something so powerful from heaven that it unlocked the chains of every prisoner in that place. And I wonder who's waiting on you to become the vessel that when you open your mouth in praise, chains simply fall off them and doors that were previously tightly shut suddenly swing open. Imagine that's the power that you carry within you when you carry the kingdom of God. That when you open your mouth, things happen around you. And chains fall off and prison doors open. I wonder what's coming out from in you. There are a number of different garments that are available to us. There's the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. It talks about royal garments in there. It talks about white garments. It talks about the armor of God. Did you know the armor of God is actually Jesus? When you look at every aspect of the armor, it's him. You look at it a different way. But look at this verse in Ezekiel 16. In fact, the whole thing from 1 to 13, but I'm just going to read you one verse. And it says, I covered your nakedness. You became mine. I washed you, anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skins. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a jewel in your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. That's talking about when God passed over us and saw us crying as a baby, still in the blood that we were born in, helpless, no one to look after. And it said he reached down and he washed us and he clothed us. It's a beautiful picture, it really is. So all those things are available for us. And what a beautiful picture it is for us to grasp. There was another garment that Peter had. Peter was in the, you know, Peter had felt like he'd failed. The resurrection happened and things like that, but he goes fishing again. And he's in that boat, and it says that he took off his outer garment. He took it off. And sometimes when we go through disappointment and disillusionment, we can take off the mantle or the, the, the garments of praise that God's given us, and we can put it down. Suddenly Jesus calls from the shore, and the first thing he does is he picks up his, his cloak, and he puts it back on, and he jumps into the water. Isn't that odd? When you jump into the water, don't you take things off before you jump into the water? But he actually picked it up and he put it back on. You know, we need to learn to pick up what God's given us and put it on. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The mantle that God gives you, whatever it is. Learn to pick it back up and put it back on. It's there for us. I mean, there's the prodigal son and all that. There's a whole lot of different things. But look. 
this verse here, Romans 13 verse 14. This is the most important garment of all. You know what it is? It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh flesh to fulfill its lusts. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? It means we can put him on and take him off. Let's keep him dwelling in here. Amen? Very quickly, the last one. Right mind. In his right mind. What does that really mean? To the world, it would simply think, well, he's normal again. But what's normal? What's normal? The eyes of the world thinks normal is just thinking how the world thinks. But I believe that this man had his mind renewed in God. But not by the world, but by God to see things differently. And that same peace that was on Jesus now rested on him. He did get a renewed... uh, How did he get a renewed mind? By simply sitting at his feet. You see, this is where we get it so back to front. You see, what was it? He was found sitting at his feet. He was found clothed and in his right mind. And then he went out and he was witnessing in his city. Now this is how the church often does it today. You've got to go out and witness. You've got to go out and you've got to say this. You've got to do that. You've got to evangelize. All that sort of thing. And then we think, oh, we've got to renew our minds. We've got to try and do it in our own effort. We've got to renew our minds. Yes, I've got to change my mind. And then suddenly, sometimes we pick up a garment or two and put that on. And then if we have time, we'll try and sit at his feet. Isn't that back to front? So we witness out of having to, out of effort, out of striving, instead of resting at his feet, finding the presence of God, knowing who you are, being changed on the inside, being transformed. Suddenly you're picking up these garments of praise, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Suddenly your mind is renewed through the Spirit of God. You have the mind of Christ. And then you don't have to go witness it. It just comes out. It flows out. The love of God, the acceptance of God, the life of God, everything flows out from that one thing. But we've tried doing it in reverse and wonder why the church is failing. Because we're striving to do it. We need to do it in that order. You see, this man, not one part of the process was done by man. God did each part. The man just had to make himself available to sit at his feet. But we want to try and do so much more. But God's saying, forget about all that. Come and sit at my feet. And then it will come. Why is it that so many of us struggle with resting at his feet? This man was now in his right mind. And why the others were fearing him because they couldn't understand, they couldn't perceive with their natural mind what was happening. And so often we can get so caught up with the things happening around us that we struggle to see and understand what God is doing. And so we move into that natural realm, the realm of fear and reaction. Again, I would like to repeat that verse, Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. And that peace. You know our minds are soap pits of all the stuff that we hear and see and experience in life and constantly needs to be renewed or it can become contaminated with the worldly mindsets that render the church powerless. 
all we, we become, after all, who we hang around with. Who do you hang around with? Is God there right throughout your life? Three simple, simple things. And I can't give you any formula about spending time with God because everybody's different. I can't give you three pointers. It's how do you engage with God? How do you draw from God? Is unique to you. Whether it's walking along the beach or whether it's spending time in your bedroom or whether it's, you know, totally different. There is no set formula, but how do you? I mean, who remembers Eric, well, Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell? Remember that guy? He was the runner, the, the guy that um, he used to run. And the thing is, he always felt God's presence and pleasure when he ran. And he used to run with his head to the side. I don't know how he ever <laughs> ran a straight line. But he did because he, just, he was aware of God's presence when he was running. That's where he encountered God. Where do you encounter God? Where do you intertwine with him? Because it's all different for each and every one of us. And I want to encourage you this morning. Because we've talked about dying to self. We've talked about this road that's not very easy. But God is very gentle as well. And he helps walk you through each stage. Because he has such a bigger picture for you. Every single one of you on this journey. What an incredible place this is becoming. And at his feet you'll find true peace, rest, wisdom, understanding, revelation, healing, power, life, joy, stableness, sight, revelation. It's waiting for the, to us to enter in. And remember, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. Amen.